Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 32, the final chapter. The celebration over Deliritus's return seemed to be in full swing by the time Baz completed the walk through erstwhile to Torchsire Library. Raucous sounds of men and women drinking emanated from the direction of the dining hall as Baz climbed the steps at the library entrance. The guards looked surprised to see him, but said nothing as he passed them and entered the building. He immediately headed downward. There was a scowl on his face that just wouldn't leave, no matter what he tried to tell the muscles in his cheeks and jaw, and the expression was infecting the rest of him. How many times had he dreamed of returning to these halls and their relative safety since he'd left? But now he was here, and all he saw was foreboding stone passageways and oppressive shadows. His bare head was cold as he descended a stairwell worn smooth by the passage of hundreds of pairs of feet just like his own, feet belonging to speakers who had been relegated to the library's lowest levels, like tools locked away in the dark, only to see the light of day when called upon by their owners, locked away by a lie. Reaching the basement level, Baz was tempted to just go to his tiny room and search for sleep. But he couldn't do that, not yet. So on he went, taking another flight of stairs into the sub-basement. When he exited the stairwell, his mood was even darker than the unlit depths around him, and he nearly forgot where he was. The scratching of a quill snapped him from the jaws of his own self-loathing. Liana's workshop hadn't changed at all in the weeks he'd been gone. There was a stack of books on the workbench, the shelf above cluttered with vials and inkwells and stacks of parchment and pens. The statue of the book dragon continued to reside amongst the chaos, Liana's name in gold lettering on its forehead gleaming in the light of the ever-glowing lamps that hung over the workbench. She was there, Liana, bent over a book until her nose was nearly touching the page. Her face was contorted with concentration, her hand making a mark there, a dab there, as she worked at restoring the page before her. Every now and again, her arm would swing to her right, dipping her pen in a large inkwell of swirling red liquid. Baz just stood there, taking in the sight of her, much of the dark cloud that had hung over him as he descended to the sub-basement forgotten. Liana must have felt eyes on her as she suddenly stopped writing and looked over her shoulder. 
Sebastian, she exclaimed, tossing her quill aside and rushing toward him. Before Baz could react, she was embracing him, and he found himself hugging her back. I've been down here all day, she said, arms still around him. They didn't tell me you'd returned. Just got back, he replied. Hope you didn't miss me too much. She pushed back from him, a mocking frown on her lips. Wouldn't have noticed you were gone at all if not for the dust accumulating on my shelves. I see you at least managed not to ruin the cloak I gave you. Baz glanced down at the garment and shrugged. It worked well enough. She punched him in the arm, though the smile she gave him compensated for the pain. You know, some of the conservators didn't think you'd be back at all, but I kept telling them that Deliritus's speaker is far too stubborn to die. I knew you'd return. Baz laughed, though inwardly he cringed at her calling him a speaker as it reinforced the secret he needed to keep from her. Is Tax around? Liana laughed, which again lightened Baz's mood. He made a mental note to say more things in the future that made Liana laugh. Sure, he's out with the others. Where else would he be? He smiled back. I should go see him. Knowing Tax, I'm sure he's been worrying since I left. Probably, Liana agreed. Want me to come with you? Actually, I'd like to talk to him brother to brother for a minute, if that's all right. Liana shrugged. Sure, just promise you'll come back here when you're done. I want to hear all about how you survived five weeks alone with only Deliritus and Rox for company, and... Her voice trailed off, and Baz suddenly remembered what he'd asked Aramir to do. How was she going to react to that? Well, Liana said... It was difficult to tell in the dimness of the workshop, but he thought her face had taken on a rather pleasing shade of crimson. You'll think me a ditz, but I had the craziest dream about you. Or, rather, you weren't in it, but I was visited by, well... She trailed off again, her eyes briefly passing over the statue on the shelf above her workspace. A book dragon? Baz offered. Her eyes widened. He laughed. There is a whole lot for me to tell you, Liana, but after I see Tex, all right? She considered him with a mix of shock and suspicion in her face, but finally she said, All right, Bastion, but you better believe I'll be forcing every word out of you, starting with how you know about my dream. It's a deal, he said. Liana returned to her workbench, eyes still suspicious, though was there a hint of mischief, too? Smiling to himself, Baz headed out into the sub-basement, grabbing a torch to light his way in the darkness. Tex was alone in a far corner, sitting in the same chair he'd been in the last time Baz had seen him. It seemed he'd had the cloth around his eye sockets changed recently, the bright linen standing out against his olive skin. He wasn't moving, and Baz thought him asleep. He almost decided to leave and come back later when Tex spoke. Bastion? Baz chuckled. How do you do that? It's how you walk. The blind have a sort of shuffle. 
They hedge each step so it's easier to react in case they encounter an unexpected obstacle. Your steps are confident, but that's not important. I'm glad you've returned safely. Me too, Baz said, squatting down beside his brother's chair. As he did so, he noticed that Tax's sleeves were rolled up and that he'd acquired additional tattoos since last Baz had seen him. More writing, this in all three languages of the Trinity. It suddenly reminded him of Aramir, and for some reason that startled Baz. So, was Deliritus successful at the trials? Tax asked. Baz took his eyes away from Tax's arms, willing himself to look his brother in the face. In a manner of speaking, he replied. Well, I want to hear all about it. Sure, Baz said, but first, I've got something for you. Baz took the small book Emma had given him out from beneath his cloak and placed it in Tax's hands. His brother's fingers trembled for a moment as they realized what he was holding, his head dipping downward as if he still had eyes with which to inspect the tome. Then his hands grasped it tight, and he pulled the slim volume to his chest. Tex raised his head toward Baz. Read it to me. The End of Part One of The Spoken Book's Uprising All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. As I probably should have adjusted the mic before I started reading here. Uh, today is July seventeenth, twenty twenty-two. As I record this, which is episode twenty-seven and the final episode of the Actus Trials. Uh, as I'm reading that, I realize that could be interpreted as the final episode of the podcast. Not the final episode of the podcast, but we have completed reading the Actus Trials. We made it through part one, and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> uh, in fact, I think to celebrate, I'll wear Baz's hat for the entirety of the analysis section here uh, as well. <clears throat> All right, so lots to get through here. We've got analysis of three chapters, um, and then a preview of part two, Declaimer's Discovery, which we'll be reading together here beginning next week. And then I have a special announcement um, towards the end of the podcast, so stay tuned for that. But as always, we will start with the personal update here. Uh, I continue to work through my edits to part four of the Spoken Books Uprising, Declaimers Stand. If you're a newsletter subscriber, you have uh, seen some info about that already in the past couple weeks. I anticipate having that ready to go to my editor and advanced readers at the beginning of August. Um, and the release date is September 16th, 2022. You can pre-order now if, uh, if you would like to ensure that you are one of the first people to get your hands on the ebook of that. Uh, I was getting a bit bogged down for a couple weeks with um, fun, let's be clear here, fun personal events, but they were still limiting amount of time I had to edit, um, and unfortunately that also coincided at the point where I was at like the 30 to 45% of the way through uh, 
through the manuscript, which unfortunately is often where I need to do the most editing because, you know, what generally what happens is I come up with some things in like the second half of the book that I decide, oh, I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to, that's a good idea. I'm going to put that in. But, um, in order for that to make sense, I need to have set that up a little earlier in the book. And, uh, so, and generally where I need to add that setup is in this kind of like this 30 to 45% range. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, so it's kind of like the part that's sometimes the hardest to edit. So that combined with kind of the, uh, the personal stuff I had going on that was limiting my time kind of made it a, a difficult couple of weeks there on the editing front. But I'm past that now. Starting to get really excited again about the story. Usually, you know, I'm pretty excited by the time the first draft is over, and then when editing starts, it's a little bit of a drag, and then uh, I return to being quite excited uh, as I can sort of start to see the light at the end of the editing tunnel, and that's kind of where I'm getting now, even though I still got about 40% of the uh, the book still to edit. Uh, so I'm chugging along there with that. Excited to get that out to all of you in a couple months here. Uh, on the non-writing front, for those of you who follow the newsletter, uh, ddkane.com slash email dash sign up if you're interested. Uh, I have started training for my next half marathon. Uh, as regular listeners will recall, I ran one back in May, finished in two hours and 10 minutes or two hours and nine minutes and 58 seconds. So my goal was to get under 210. I just squeaked it out there. Uh, this time I'm training uh, to run it in two hours and four minutes, so shaving six minutes off the time there. Uh, wish me luck. Uh, and for those of you listening who uh, think running that far sounds ridiculous, which um, sometimes I still think it's ridiculous, to be honest, uh, perhaps I can give you a bit of inspiration. Uh, you know, four years ago, I weighed about 60 more pound, pounds, not points. Let's correct the script here. Uh, about 60 more pounds than I do now, and uh, frankly, I would have had trouble running down the driveway um, uh, to the mailbox. <laughs> that's uh, you know, that's kind of how stark the contrast was between you know four years ago and now. I certainly was not in shape then. Um, really, if you start you start in small chunks and don't let your pride get in the way of taking frequent walk breaks, which um, I still take walk breaks uh, on my training runs almost every time I go out. Uh, you know, you can you can run a half marathon too. It might take you a few years, but you can you can do it. I was an overweight kid all through my school years, and really for most of my life until a few years ago. And, uh, and to be clear, nothing wrong with that at all, so long as you're happy. Um, so long as you're happy, you can do uh, you can do just about every anything you want, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you're you're not hurting other folks. Um, but in my case, I was I was certainly feeling unhealthy and knew I needed to make a change and. And running was one of the things that helped me out. So uh, there you go. Um, if any of you out there are interested in chatting running, feel free to email me, dtkane at dtkane.com. We'd love to uh, exchange notes with you. And, uh, of course, just a mandatory disclaimer here. I am not a doctor, and this is not medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any sort of exercise regimen or diet. Uh, right, and finally, uh, as uh, you've also seen if you subscribe to the newsletter, I've been getting into photography a bit here lately, 
sharing some photos each week in the newsletter. So if you're interested in seeing those, there's another reason to sign up for the email list, ddkane.com slash email dash sign up. Uh, recently watched a YouTube video that compared photos to short fiction, uh, and I really like that. Um, you know, telling stories with a single image, it's almost like almost like flash fiction. You get this one thing to tell a whole story. Um, so obviously we're at, we are not a photography-centered show here, but um, I assume since you're listening, you like stories, so I'm going to keep sharing some of my photos and uh, hope, hope you get some... Uh, get some stories out of those um if you'd like to tell me what you think of some of my photos certainly drop me an email uh again i'm sure you're tired of hearing it meh but my goal is to have you have it memorized by the time you're uh, <laughs> by the time we're through here dtkane at dtkane.com if you'd like to send me any comments about my photos or anything else <clears throat> for that matter all right, so let's launch into some analysis here. It's actually been a few weeks since I recorded an analysis section. A um, little off topic here. I was getting ready to record this episode, and my wife walked in and pointed out I had analysis spelled incorrectly in my script. And uh, since I work off a template, that means I've had analysis spelled wrong in the show notes of every single episode thus far of the podcast. Um, so, well, say la vie. There you go. I'm probably not even going to bother going back. Um, and fixing it, no one's pointed it out to me at all, so I assume it hasn't uh, really bothered anyone else. But um, if you want to chuckle, you can go back and uh, and uh, see, you know, semi semi professional right over here making uh, stupid stupid spelling mistakes like that. Apparently, uh, Microsoft OneNote does not spell check capital letters or all caps. My headings are in all capital letters. So, oh well. Uh, there you go. You got to be able to brush stuff off like that, especially when you are an independent author like I am, because those things are just inevitably um, going to happen. I've only got so much time, and I, I proofread my stuff, of course, but um, and I have other people proofread my novels before they go out. Um, but they're just going to slip through. So uh, there you go. Anyway, um, I haven't done any analysis in a few weeks here didn't really think I had enough to say about chapter 30, which was its own uh, short episode. Uh, and then last week, chapter 31 was a longer chapter. Um, and I frankly just didn't have time to record both that and an analysis section. Or by record, that, I mean narrate chapter 31 and then do the analysis section. Um, so here we are. We have finished the book and we have three chapters to talk about. Um, for what it's worth, I'm doing it a little differently this week. Usually I write out a pretty detailed script. This week I just have some bullet points here about the final three chapters. So if I start getting a deer in the headlights look, it's because I don't have my script to lean on here. But I think I think we'll be okay. Um, so starting with chapter 30, uh, just for a quick refresher, this is the chapter immediately after Baz and uh, Tessa finished negotiating Baz's release <laughs> from uh <clears throat> from undertome you know baz agrees to be a, a seeker of transcendence and do this quest for tessa which we'll talk more about uh in a minute here i just actually thought of something else i want to talk to you guys about uh let me just add that to the list here i'm sure you can hear me banging away on my really loud mechanical keyboard uh folks at the day job complain about my loud typing. I always have to mute. Um, right. 
Um, so right after Baz and Tessa finished their negotiations, um, we go back to the Sanctum where Tessa and Rox are, are chatting rather amiably. I might note a little unclear exactly what they were talking about, but they seem to get along, which is interesting. Maybe not so interesting since we discovered that Rox really isn't the monster that Baz made him out to be at the beginning of the novel. Uh, and Tessa makes Rox uh, swear an oath to not... Uh, disclose anything about Undertome, which Rox promises to do subject subject to his oath to Deliritus, or something like that. I don't have the text right in front of me now. Um, so, you know, is that going to be significant here down the road? Maybe. Um, I wouldn't have put it in there if it's not going to be, right? So, so we'll have to see. But regardless, Tessa lets Baz and Rox go. Um, and as they are walking back to the rendezvous point with Aramere, Aramir, Aramir. I should probably know how to pronounce it since it's my book, but um, I haven't really settled on one. I think I mostly say Aramir uh, in the book. It does have that accent over the E, but I really do the accent mostly because I think it looks more fantasy, not necessarily because that's how I pronounce it. Um, call me crazy or foolish or, or whatever, but, uh, but there you go. Um, so anyway... As Emma is leading them back to the rendezvous point, um, you know, Baz kind of lets drop the the quest Tessa has given him, and Emma's actually not too uh, <laughs> not too pleased about that, right? She's actually kind of pissed. Um, oh, geez, that's been my mother's life's work, and she actually knew, or she thought she knew where the Declaimer's Transcendence was for all this time, and she never told me, and now she's sending you, <laughs> you know, this outsider who, you know, Baz is like, well, for what it's worth, I don't even... I don't even believe I'm going to find anything there. <laughs> that does that just makes it worse, right? Oh. Not only did my mother not tell me, but she told this random this rando person um, who doesn't believe anything that we believe. <clears throat> so a little tension there. Um, still, Emma and Baz seem to part on pretty good terms. You know, she kind of gives Baz this meaningful look at the end before he gets onto Aramir, and Baz kind of embarrassingly, or you know gets a little embarrassed right he looks away uh you know he coughs in his hand to uh <laughs> as an excuse to not be looking at her and then of course offers that same hand he just coughed in to shake her hand <laughs> which she declines to take um but she does give him a little gift right this uh the small spoken book um which may initially not seem like a big deal but um you know as we've learned you don't necessarily need to have the book open in order to unlock its power if you have the spell memorized as long as the book's nearby, you can still cast it. So you can see how this could be an advantage. You can have a tiny little book tucked into your pocket, um, and someone might not, you know, it'll look like you don't have a book with you, but um, but you do. So you can see how this sort of tool can be could be somewhat useful. So um, <clears throat> we'll have to see what the significance of that is um, moving forward. Obviously, at this point, um, with the book winding down, we're really just setting things up for the next book here. Not going to get a lot of, we're going to get, you know, more questions instead of answers once more. You know, we went from lots of questions at the beginning to getting some answers, and now we're going back down into the, the valley of questions, if you will. Um, right. So they fly away on Aramir. They go retrieve Deliritus. We have this uh, funny little scene here, where Deliritus has basically barricaded himself inside Aramir's cave, thinking Aramir is trying to eat him. We get some good laughs, <laughs> out of that. Baz pretty much loses it. Um, 
I think I did a pretty good job of uh, expressing the hilarity during my narration of chapter 31, but um, you guys can listen for yourselves and make your own conclusions. Um, but then we also get the surprise, you know, after Baz reveals he found the book that Dale needed to complete the trials, and, you know, Delirious is kind of like, oh, I won, kind of like he's totally disregarding that Baz actually did all the winning for him. Uh, he does, he thanks Baz, which, you know, catches Baz a little off guard, right? Jaw, jaw drops to the floor, really. Um, you know, oh, Delirious actually treated me as a person <laughs> for once. And, you know, Delirious actually, you know, Baz, I know you don't think too highly of me, but I'm not as bad as you think. Um, he really comes right out and says that. So um, maybe we're finally starting to see glimmers of a actual uh, friendship between these two. Uh is that possible? Well, probably not, right? Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, so uh, Del thanks <coughs> Baz, and then they all fly away on Aramir back to Hamlet, right? Not all the way back to erstwhile, because Deliritus points out, probably rightfully so, well, it'd be weird if people heard we just didn't show up at all in Hamlet on the way back, because, you know, that's all roads, all roads from... Uh, uh, tome lead back to Hamlet there, at least if you're going to Erstwhile. Um, so they stop, they get dropped off at Hamlet, they spend the night in the inn where Baz gets his feather mattress, first time he's ever slept on a mattress, he tells us, um, which maybe again, just a little quick reminder of the condition, the poor conditions he's lived in to this point of his life. Um, <clears throat> so the next day, they set out uh, on foot back to Erstwhile, um, things seem to be going all right for a little while. Oh, I guess I should just add, remember, they don't really, um, obviously they don't give Dell any details, Deliritus. I've, I've been calling him Dell a little here the past few minutes. I assume all of you understand that's a reference to Deliritus, just a little easier, uh, to say. <clears throat> uh, they don't tell Deliritus too much, you know, they, I think, um, well, Bass says Marla killed Hellar, right? Which is true. <laughs> That's not a lie. Um, and then Marla ran into a band of uh, band of cityless, and he kind of just leaves it at that, which also kind of true. So no true lies, you know. I guess Baz is kind of making rocks proud here, dancing around the truth that I really telling a lie. But you know, Deliritus doesn't really press too much for details either, right? He kind of, I think, as Baz points out, he wants some plausible deniability here. It would seem. Um, you know, he's got, he's got the book he wanted. It looks like he's going to win the trial since he's the only one who's going to be coming back alive. Um, and he doesn't want to poke the sleeping bear here. So anyway, they're walking back. Uh, first few days go okay, but Dell seems to be slipping into a morose attitude here. And Baz seems to know what's coming, even though he's hoping it's not. Uh, but finally, uh, Dell stops them as they're walking one day and says, Baz, we got to talk about your reading. Of course, Baz tries to play it off, like he doesn't know what Deliritus is talking about, but, um, you know, Deliritus basically comes down to it that, you know, he is not going to be able to keep this <clears throat> a secret from his father after all, even though he promised to do so. Um, and, you know, Baz, Baz, you know, he doesn't come right out and say it, but he was really hoping that Deliritus had changed here, right? You know, he kind of gives Deliritus every out he can. He's like, oh, Deliritus, you promised. And of course, Deliritus is like, I was in a tough position, Baz. Like, Baz wasn't in a tough position here, having his uh, secret reveal that he saved um, Deliritus. 
Um, but, uh, you know, it kind of all comes crashing down for Bass here, at least his hopes for both Deliritus and Rox, because Deliritus tells Rox, you know, basically to go rip Bass's eyes out the same as he did to Tax um, all those years ago back at the beginning of the novel. And, you know, Baz, even more so than Deliritus, it seemed Baz was hoping that Rox had changed. But, you know, we do see, however reluctant Rox is, uh, you know, Dell points out, you know, do you still execute me, Rox? They discover I'm hiding a cuss. So you, your oath says you have to do what I say here, and Rox seems to agree with that. So he makes the, you know, the menacing move toward Baz, and that's when we finally discover what Baz asked Aramir to do while him and Rox were at home. He asked Aramir to go to Erstwhile and find Liana and tell her what was going on. Obviously, he didn't tell uh, Aramir to tell Liana that he can read, but, you know, Liana apparently knows that um, it wasn't the Lyritus who finished the trials. It was Baz. So Baz had this in his back pocket. You know, he was, you know, as much as he was hoping, obviously he was not, uh, you know, he foresaw the possibility of this betrayal, and he he was not going to uh, let it happen without having some sort of backup plan. Um, so he's kind of blackmailed Deliritus here. Well, Deliritus, if you kill me, Liana is going to reveal that you didn't really complete the trials, and that's going to be embarrassing for you, huh? You know, <laughs> I'm a speaker. I'm not supposed to be able to do anything on my own, but, you know, geez, I completed a trial that some readers can't even complete, so... Um, basically, the end result is the status quo of their deal is reinstated. You know, Adele is going to keep Baz's secret here, if begrudgingly, and Baz will keep Deliritus' secret that he was not, in fact, the one who completed the Actus Trials, that it was Baz. Um, so there you go. And we get kind of, um, in this interaction and then the subsequent interaction with Deliritus's father, where he comes out and greets Deliritus at the, uh, you know, outside the gates. Uh, what kind of book did Baz find at, um, not find, what kind of book did he take from Tessa's study? Well, it's a book that cures blindness. <laughs> what do we think Baz is going to do with that? And I guess that explains, you know, Deliritus is a little bashful initially when he takes a look at the book that Baz found back in Aramir's cave, and this obviously explains why, because, uh, you know, Baz is sending a message here. You know, I expect you to use this to fix my brother's eyes. Um, so isn't that interesting and fitting? So we'll have to see where that goes um, in the next book. And then at the very end of chapter 31, we get kind of this sad, I think it's a sad, uh, you know, kind of micro scene here. You know, Duke Octavenal rides out with the, you know, the other Duke and Duchess and the Conservator, you know, and Duke Octavenal is, you know, proud well as he prodded Deliritus and we're just gloating at the uh, at the other duke or the the other duke and duchess that uh you know his library has won the trial a little unclear but you know he at least he puts his arm around Deliritus right and leads him back to celebrate you know leaving Baz and rocks to uh you know walk the rest of the way because <clears throat> they brought an extra horse for Deliritus so they gallop away and Baz and rocks have to walk back the rest of the way to erstwhile and rocks tries to uh, call Baz, you know, Bastion. He tries to call Bastion Baz, and he's like, Rox, my name is my name is Bastion, and he walks away from him. So we had this, you know, back a few chapters ago, we had this moment between Rox and Baz where, you know, Baz is like, yeah, you can call me Baz, Rox, which we know is kind of a, a big thing for him, right? People call him Bastion. Only Yates' brother calls him Baz. 
Even Liana calls him Bastion. Um, but he was letting Rox call him by, by Baz. But now he's gone back to telling Rox he has to call him Bastion. So we unfortunately see this reversion back towards, you know, Baz not trusting or liking Rox here because he's realized that, you know, whatever they went through at the end, Rox is, uh, Rox is the lyricist's guy, right? He's not Baz's friend. At least that's what Baz thinks. So, you know, I guess maybe <clears throat> maybe there's a little message here. Do people... Do people ever really change, right? I guess that's what I was thinking thinking here. You know, we see glimpse of it, glimpses of it, and, you know, the answer is probably not so black and white, right? You know, I think you can change in certain ways, but the core of a person, all oh, that's really hard to change, and we see that both with Deliritus and Rox. Rox here at the, <clears throat> at the end, you know, you know, you are who you are. Um... And that's that's almost it. Chapter thirty-two, pretty short. You know, Baz gets back to the library and he is uh, in an awful mood, right? You know, he's gotten back to the library. He goes back and he's like, "Oh, I was." He's basically dreaming of getting back here to his safety, but now, uh, you know, all he sees is this dreary, dark place where a bunch of slaves like him have fall or you know have walked before him. So he's really not in the best frame of mind as he goes down to the sub basement. But you know, he enters into Liana's laboratory or workshop I guess we call it here um, starts to feel immediately better upon seeing her she gives him a big hug um, as soon as he she sees him uh, so of course leading to questions for the next book is there gonna be some relationship between the two of them moving forward we'll have to see um, they don't talk they don't talk too much. They kind of exchange a couple of playful jabs. And then, you know, Liana mentions, oh, she had a dream about a book dragon, right? Um, so it seems like she didn't even really necessarily believe that Aramir had been real. Of course, Bass is like, oh, I know you had a dream about a book dragon, which, of course, surprises her. Um, <clears throat> and we kind of leave it at that. Baz is like, well, I need to go see Tax, and then we can talk all about it. <clears throat> So they depart there, and Baz goes deeper into the sub-basement to find his brother, let him know he got back safely, and to show, well, not show, sorry, Tax can't see, but to, uh, you know, let Tax know what he brought back for him. You may remember that Tax, back in chapter, I think it was seven, whatever the last chapter of part one, or of part two is, for, where Baz visited Tax <clears throat> in the sub-basement the first time, you know, Tax had told him to bring back a book. And Baz was like, don't be ridiculous, Tax. I'm not going to be able to get back, bring back a book. Um, you know, they're not just lying around <laughs> in Tome to begin with. And, you know, Deliritus and Rox will be keeping an eye on me. But um, against all odds, he has brought back a book. He's got this tiny book that, um, that Leon, or that, excuse me, that Emma gave him. So Tax does have his book now. Um, you know, and after getting over the shock of Baz handing it to him, the last line of the book, read it to me. Um, you know, kind of lots of implication there. Um, what is Tax planning to do with this book? Um, what is Tax planning in general here? You know, obviously, when we talked to him back in Chapter 7, his, you know, he seemed like a bit of a rebel back at the very beginning before he was blinded and it seems maybe um that desire for rebellion has not has not died in him over the past 10 years so you know that's going somewhere but we'll have to wait until we get to part two to find out more all right 
So that's a wrap. We have read through the entire part one of the Spoken Books Uprising, the Actus Trials. Um, kind of a kind of a big day for me, I'd say. You know, you really have to do this in small chunks. You know, starting out in January um, when I had never done a podcast before, um, it seemed like a bit of a monumental task to get through reading an entire book and talking about each chapter. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good about having gotten through the whole thing. I hope all of you who have been following along and listening, um, have enjoyed it. Or if, um, you know, if you're listening out of order or you're listening to this years down the road, um, hope you're enjoying and looking forward to listening to subsequent books in the series, starting with Declaimer's Discovery, which will be starting uh, next week. Um, not going to get into too much here now, but I think there are a few loose ends that we've left hanging at the end of book one that you know I'm sure you have questions about, and we'll get at least some sort of answer to in part two. I'll at least give you that much. So will Baz reconcile with Dell and Rox, or are they back to being enemies? We'll have to see. Baz's secret, will Dell actually keep it safe? You know, I... You know, it's probably unclear whether it's actually going to come out at this point. But you have to think that it's going to play some role in part two, right? The fact that Baz can uh, Baz can read. Uh, is Liana going to grow suspicious over what really happened at the trials? Um, you know, she's the only one who has any reason to believe it wasn't just Delirtus um, who won the trials, right? That Baz had a bigger hand in it. Um you know, how much did Aramir reveal to her? That's still kind of unclear as well. <clears throat> so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out in part two. And the Declaimer's Transcendence, remember this is the quest that Tessa has sent Vaz on, this prophecy um, about how the readers, uh, or excuse me, how the speakers are going to free themselves from the readers. You know, this Declaimer, this person who can cast spells without books, you know, how is Baz going to get to the city of Fortune, which is on the other side of Oration, to fulfill his promise to Tessa and find this lost prophecy? Um, those questions and more will be answered in part two of the Spoken Books Uprising, Declaimer's Discovery. And I have my copy of Declaimer's Discovery here with me. There it is. Uh, holding it up for those watching the podcast here. Um, and actually, here's the Actus Trials, too. And if we hold the two up to the camera here, sorry, that probably came out as a loud noise on the microphone, uh, you can see Declaimer's Discovery substantially... Turn off my camera light here for a second. So avoid some glare. That uh, kind of helped. Declaimer's Discovery substantially thicker than the Actus Trials. I believe it's about 40,000 words longer. We're talking... Actus Trials came in at around 90,000, whereas Declaimer's Discovery is uh, 130,000-something, I think, so a lot more. It's like uh, more than 100 pages longer, so lots of good stuff to look forward to with that, and I guess I'll read the back cover blurb here for you, which may partially answer at least a couple of these questions we just went over. So, uh, let me just get my lighting here. Hold on. There we go. Okay. This is the blurb 
for part two. Declaimer's discovery. <clears throat> what do you mean he knows our secret? Oh, right there. Baz's secret. Playing a role here. Having survived the Ectus trials and kept his secret safe, for now, Baz has returned to erstwhile. But his rest is short-lived when an unwelcome guest visits Torchside Library, bearing news of a revolt amongst the speakers in Fortune, Oration's wealthiest city. A special session of Oration's Congress has been called, and Baz's master is selected to travel to Fortune and represent erstwhile. Of course, Baz must go with him. Suddenly, Baz has an opportunity to fulfill his promise to the Keepers of Tome, search Fortune for the prophecy that promises to free the speakers of Oration from slavery. But circumstances quickly turn dangerous when Baz and his companions are attacked en route to fortune. Baz finds himself at the center of a rebellion. He's unsure he wants to join, but is equally unsure he can escape. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Baz discovers that the most powerful man in fortune not only holds a secret that could destroy all of oration, but also knows Baz's own. Surrounded by enemies and friends he doesn't trust, can Baz survive, find the prophecy, and become the leader of an uprising? Well, find out in Declaimer's Discovery, Part 2 of the Spoken Books Uprising, which we will begin reading here on the podcast next week. All right, uh, there's the blurb. Hope that sounds interesting to you. Uh, are there any other questions you have that you hope are answered in part two? Uh, let me know. DTKane at DTKane.com. Uh, okay, final note. I'm going to tweak the episode format for when we read part two here. Uh, I'm thinking maybe only one or two analysis episodes per month or maybe you know one or two uh, detailed analysis sections kind of per every two to four chapters. Do this for a couple reasons, um, you know. Feel some need to justify justify changes to all of you listening out there, or at least explain myself to all of you out there, since I am doing this for you. Uh, so first, some weeks I felt that there really hasn't been that much to talk about for a particular chapter, but I nonetheless put an analysis section out, really just for the sake of it. Um, so I think with this tweak where we don't necessarily do an analysis every week, we can have some more meaningful discussion. Um, if I don't feel the need to dissect every little bit of each chapter just for the sake of content. So, you know, we'll see how that works. If it, uh, you know, if it doesn't seem, uh, you know, if it, if it seems that everyone would prefer an analysis section every week, we can always revert back, but we'll see how that goes. Though, honestly, uh, you know, the second reason, uh, it's really just a matter of time. You know, the podcast does take up a lot of time uh, for me each week, which is totally fine because I like how it gives me a more personal connection with all of you out there. You know, I definitely connect with you through um, the writing, but I think getting this kind of face-to-face and or at least, uh, you know, oral interaction with you through the podcast or video if you're watching on YouTube, you know, I just feel like that, you know, helps me make a little more connection with all of you out there, which I really like. <clears throat> Um, but that said, my top priority still remains writing new books, so I need to make sure I have enough time each week to do that. Uh, and there have been weeks where I found it a bit of a struggle to balance all the podcast recording I want to do with all the writing I want to do. 
So I think something needs to give a little, uh, and it can't be the writing that gives, right? Because there's no DT Kane without the writing. So got to find a little way to save time on the podcast. So that's another way. Because honestly, doing the analysis is almost, it's almost like I'm recording two episodes each week. Because I record the narration and then recording the analysis is like an entirely separate thing where I need to write out a script or at least notes and then actually sit down and record that and then edit the whole thing. So um, I do think cutting down on the analysis will will save me a substantial amount of time. So, so hopefully no one has too big of an objection about that. Of course, feel free to email me, dtkane at dtkane.com or I don't know if... If you're, a, if you're a writer and podcaster out there and you have any tips for balancing the two along with a day job, that's the other thing. I still work 9 to 5 every day, well, Monday through Friday. So, um, you know, between that and running and writing novels and recording the podcast. And then, oh, I do have a wife I need to spend some time with too. <laughs> um, you know, it's a, it's a busy schedule, so I just got to make sure I've got, a, got time for, for all the stuff that matters. But if you have any uh, uh, time management suggestions, feel free to shoot them to ddkane at ddkane.com. <clears throat> so there you go. Hope you're all uh, looking forward to starting on part two, Declaimer's Discovery, next week. Um, okay, so next up is the special announcement I promised at the beginning of the episode. Um, with the conclusion of part one here, I have decided I am going to start a Patreon page. Now, before we talk about that, including what Patreon is, in case you're not familiar, um, this podcast is going to remain 100% free. Uh, One of the reasons I started this show uh, was to get my stories into the ears uh, of folks who maybe aren't in a position right now to spend money on my books. You know, if you can spend money, that's great. But um, if you can't, I'd still love for you to hear my stories, and this podcast is one way to get them out to you. Um, you know, so if that's you, if you're in that position right now, no judgment and no worries, uh, I'll still be coming to you each week free of charge. Um, that said, there are certain upfront costs to both my writing and podcasting that, um, you know, it'd be nice if I had, you know, some external support with, um, and I'll be completely transparent with you on some of them. Cover designing for each book is about 500 or so dollars. Uh, editing is around two cents per word. That's a pretty standard charge. You know, it can be a little cheaper or a little more expensive depending on your editor or, you know, maybe even a lot more expensive in some situations. Um, but two cents a word is pretty standard and that's, you know, around what I'm paying. Uh, and when you consider my novels are between 90 and 130,000 words, you know, those two cents a word add up pretty quick in costs. <laughs> uh, and also hosting for this podcast uh, costs a few hundred dollars a year. So, you know, definitely a lot of upfront costs there before I can even, you know, think about making any sort of profit. So just so you know, that's where I'm coming from here. And now, uh, just to be clear, I don't want anyone to misunderstand here. I'm not complaining about these costs. They're all well worth it. So I can get quality and interesting, interesting content out there to all of you. I would not release uh, you know, a novel that has not been edited or that doesn't have a nice-looking cover um, or host a podcast on a shady, free podcasting service where I don't really own the content. Um, I would never do any of that, uh, so I'm happy to pay those costs to, to make sure I'm giving you the quality 
that you deserve. But uh, that said, I have also had a few folks ask if there was a way they could support me beyond just buying my books. So I thought perhaps now was the time to start a Patreon. So first of all, what is that? Well, for those of you who don't know, Patreon is a website that exists to give an artist's fans a way to support the artist on a monthly basis. Um, you know, I guess it's based in the old idea of patronage from like, you know, the Renaissance where, you know, kind of wealthy nobles hired an artist to do painting for them or they sponsored an artist, right? And that's how the artists kind of got by. They found their wealthy patron and that's how they made their money in exchange for, you know, making art at the patron's request. Um, so... Um, back to modern times, the way Patreon.com works is you essentially subscribe to me, right? Uh, it's a monthly kind of subscription service, and in exchange, you get some special Patreon perks that I choose. Um, now, what are those perks? I hear lots of people asking out there in <laughs> in the podcast world. Well, I think we're going to have three tiers of perks, um, and there's a variety of things in each tier. I will go through them quickly here. Uh, number one will be the keeper tier. So the keepers, remember that's what the the folks down in Undertome are called, the keepers of what remains. Um, so pretty pretty cool title there right off the bat. Um, that'll be $2.99 per month. And in exchange for that, you will receive the following. Uh, copies of every ebook I've released to date upon signing up. Um, you'll get all of those files uh, within one month after you sign up. Um, so every so you know if you signed up today, you would get a copy of my first novel, which is Blade Sorrow, which is not in the Spoken Books Uprising series. And then you would get a copy of The Actus Trials, uh, Declaimers Discovery, and Declaimers Flight. Those are the four books I currently have out as of July 17th, 2022. Uh, so you'd get a, a copy of each of those ebooks. Uh, you will also receive a free copy of each new ebook I release after you sign up uh, for as long as you're a patron. So basically, you're guaranteed to get a copy of every new uh, ebook that I release after you sign up. Uh, sorry for the pause in audio there. I thought my wife was knocking on the door, but apparently not. Um, so where were we? Uh, your name displayed in the keepers section of my weekly email newsletter. I think I, I think I'm repeating myself there, but again, you know, you'll get some public recognition each week there in the newsletter. Um, and then also you'll get access to an exclusive patrons only monthly podcast episode, which is currently in the works. That'll be starting, uh, at the end of 2022. I think I've got a few ideas for that <clears throat> right now that I'm kicking around. I don't necessarily want to publicly announce anything yet, but, um, you know, I think if you value the content you're getting in this, uh, podcast currently for free, you'll, you'll enjoy what I'm, uh, you know, what I've got brewing for the patrons only podcast. Um, and also the knowledge that you are helping ensure that I can continue to produce the content you love for a long time to come. So you get all of that for just the $2.99 a month keeper level. Now, if you want to upgrade, tier two is the orator level. Remember the, you know, the, the orators are the, you know, that was the old name for folks who could both read and speak very well. Uh, so the orator level, that will be $9.99 per month, $9.99 per month. And at that level, you will get all the perks of the Keeper tier, plus free autographed copies of all the physical books I have released as of the date you sign up. So that's a potentially a lot. Right now, that means you uh, uh, you would get four 
autographed books upon signing up. Again, Blade Sorrow and the first three parts of the Spoken Books Uprising. Um, the way I think I'm going to structure that is one book would ship to you as soon as you sign up, then the others would ship uh, within 90 days after you sign up. And, you know, that's just to... I'm sure no none of you out there would do that, but, you know, the, the random person who is not a dedicated listener just signing up to get all the books and then canceling immediately. Um, so obviously got to work that in there. Um, a little, um, just a note to non U S residents who might be interested in this dear tier. You know, I hate, I hate that I have to even think about this, but the, due to the cost of shipping to some parts of the world, uh, I might instead have to send you a non autographed copy. Um, because obviously the only way I can send autographed copies is to, you know, have them physically in front of me and then mail them, um, which can be prohibitive, uh, from a expense cost. Um, so if, if you follow that boat, I would send you a non-autographed copy. And what I can do is I can have my printer insert a personalized typed page so I could add a special message to you. And then my name would be typed under that. Obviously, I understand that for some of you, but that might not be the equivalent of uh, an autographed book. So, of course, feel free to, to contact me with any questions before you sign up for that tier about how um, exactly uh, that would work. Um, and then... So after you get that initial group of books, so everything I released as of the date you sign up, you will also receive a free autographed copy of each physical book I release after the date you sign up for as long as you're a patron. So every time I release a new book, I will mail you a physical autographed copy. Um, your name will appear in the orators section of my weekly email newsletter. So you will also get public recognition each week um, as being you know, in this, this, middle, this middle support tier. Um, and then you will also get your name in the acknowledgments section of each book I release after the date you sign up. So if you'd like to see your name appear in my future books, uh, consider signing up for the order tier. Again, that is uh, $9.99 or will be $9.99 per month. And finally, tier three will be the declaimer tier. Um, remember, a declaimer is someone we have not seen a declaimer yet in part one. Well, we did not see one yet in part one at all there is not a declaimer in part one um <clears throat> that we know of <laughs> no no declaimer in part one um <clears throat> but a declaimer is someone who can cast spells without a book so a very a very rare thing um so the very coveted title here in the land of dt kane and this will be a 14.99 per month subscription you will get all the perks of the keeper and orator tiers plus um and this is interesting Honestly, I have no idea if anyone will have any interest at all in this perk, but it sounds like an interesting opportunity for some folks, so we'll, we'll see if anyone, uh, anyone goes for this. Um, but you will have the unique opportunity to participate in my drafting process. I will give you live access to drafts of my new works through a shared Google Doc. Now, it's going to be a read-only Google Doc. You're not going to be able to go in and, and rewrite what I'm working on, but you will be able to you know, log in from time to time and see what I've added to the current draft. Um, I'll probably leave commenting on, so you could even leave comments on things. So I think um, this is a unique opportunity for, quote, super fans, which, again, I don't know that I actually have any super fans. I'm not a... My head has not gotten so big where I expect I have super fans out there. But um, if I do, here is your chance to watch me publicly write new material and to share feedback and suggestions with me in, you know, almost real time anyway. 
I guess if you're logged in at the exact same time I am actively typing, you could watch in real time. So uh, there you go. Um, at this tier, I will also give you the opportunity to have one free you know, plug or message in my newsletter or podcast per quarter. So um, I guess that's four per year. That's how quarters work, right? Four. Um, you know, this could be anything from asking me to wish your friend happy birthday on the show or in my newsletter, uh, to sharing some sort of personal story you think the listeners might like, to, I don't know, say you're a, say you're a writer like me and you'd like me to, uh, you know, plug, plug a piece of your work on the show or in the newsletter. Um, you know, whatever you want, uh, within reason. Of course, I reserve the right to deny any requests that I think are inappropriate. But within reason, if you are in the declaimer tier, I will put out a message for you, you know, up to one per quarter, uh, you know, of your choosing, uh, whether it's in the podcast or in the newsletter, on the podcast or in the newsletter. Um, you'll also get your name in the declaimers section of the weekly email newsletter, so right at the top of the supporters list there. And I will also read your name aloud at the end of each podcast episode to just give you a special thanks for being in this rather elite tier. Um, so there you go. That's going to be the three tiers. Um, if you're listening to this like a day or two after the episode comes out, uh, I may not have the page fully set up yet, so check back. But um, in the very near future, you will be able to sign up for one of these three tiers at www.patreon.com slash DTKane. Daniel Thomas Kane, K-A-N-E. There you go. I don't know if I've ever said my actual name here before, but there you go, Daniel Thomas Kane. Um, that's patreon.com slash DTKane. Uh, so if you have the means and you're interested in doing something extra to support my work, or you're just looking for a way to let me know you appreciate all the content I've created thus far, uh, you know, please consider signing up for that. Uh, you know, but if not, you know, maybe you don't have the means right now, that's that's no problem. We're gonna continue meeting here each week on the podcast free of charge. Um, I should just add, I kind of added this caveat already here, but just so we are totally clear, as of recording this, I'm still in the process of finalizing the Patreon page. So all these tiers are, you know, they're subject to change. I think they're pretty much, pretty close to what they're going to be. Um, I'll try to add an update to this episode if things change at a later date. Um, but just please review the Patreon page's description of the membership tier you're signing up before, for before you uh, before you sign up, as as that will be the definitive source of what you're getting, not necessarily what I have said here. So, you know, review what's in writing. If it's in writing, it didn't happen. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, so homework for this week: um, read the prologue to Declaimer's Discovery Part Two. You know, who is this Stefan character? Um, yeah, you're not going to recognize the people. Well, you might recognize one of them. We'll have to see. But, um, you know, you won't obviously recognize any of the characters in the prologue here. So, you know, and, you know, ask yourself, where is where is the Stefan character? Where is he in the world of oration? Uh, and who are the visitors that he reluctantly greets in the prologue? So some questions there for you to look out for. Um, and then we'll discuss them next week <clears throat> on the podcast. Um, got a couple of listener questions here that I've kind of been saving up. The first one here is from Jan. I believe it's from Jan. Let me just uh, 
check the old Twitters here because it came in through Twitter. Um, I probably should have done this before um, the episode here. Ah, yes, this is from Jan. Jan on Twitter. Jan, thank you for the question. And she she asked what my day job is because I've mentioned it a few times. Because uh, I've mentioned it a few times, but I don't think um, <clears throat> I've actually said what it is. Well, I am a lawyer during the day, which I hope no one's rolling their eyes too much out there at me. So <laughs> a lot of people don't think too highly uh, of lawyers. I'm not like a high-powered Wall Street lawyer uh, or anything, though. So so rest assured, you know, I do all right for myself um, in the day job, but frankly, don't have a whole lot of passion for it. So you know, I'm blessed to have a good day job that, you know, pays the bills for now while I'm working on building up my writing career here. Um, you know, but writing is the writing is the true passion that I've, you know, finally learned to embrace kind of in the past like five years <clears throat> or so. So there's the answer to that. I am um I am a lawyer. I went to Case Western in Cleveland for law school. Uh loved living in Cleveland. So any of my listeners out there from Cleveland Awesome city. Kind of wish I was still there, but um, my family is here in uh, the upstate New York area, so that's one of the reasons I'm back here. Back here <clears throat> now. Um, so if you ever see me making little like jabs at the law or lawyers, which I do in some of my books, you <laughs> you know why that's coming from a deeply personal place. Um, and then I'm gonna answer this. I think totally off the cuff here, but I think this was Shauna who answered, asked this question. She asked how I created the map of oration. Um, and she actually said it kind of looks like a zombie to her. Uh, I guess I should pull up a cop. Here we go. I'm looking, I'm looking at the map now on my screen. I guess I'll, I'll have to, on YouTube, I'll have to put up a cop, a photo of the map. Um, I don't know. I'm not really seeing, I'm not really seeing the zombie face in the map here. So, which I guess answers your first part of the question, Sean. No, I did not intentionally do that though. I, uh, (laughs) uh, I think it's, I think it's hilarious that that's what you see, which is totally fine. So, but no, I did not do that, um, intentionally as to how I created it. You know, I just, honestly, I was sitting in a coffee shop one day working on a different book that I have yet to release, by the way. Uh, it was It's the second book in my Agarsvar Saga series, which I really haven't talked about very much here. Blade Sorrow, which is the first book of the Agarsvar Saga, is actually the first book I released, um, which is part one of a longer series. Though, for what it's worth, Blade Sorrow is a standalone book, too. You can read Blade Sorrow and be totally satisfied. It is a complete story. It doesn't end on some big cliffhanger where you don't get a you know a satisfying conclusion. Um, but really the problem with that series is that's really my, that's, that's going to be the magnum opus here at some point. It is, uh, far more vast in scope than, um, uh, the spoken books. Not that the spoken books isn't pretty deep when it comes to the world building and stuff, but, um, you know, Blades are, I think is 260,000 words, which is like, um, longer than the first two books of the spoken books uprising combined (laughs) so i decided i and each of the other books in the series is going to be like they're going to be 
of equivalent length, if not longer. So I you know, decided to really get my writing off the ground here. I needed to focus on a series that was, you know, a little shorter than that. So that's why I've switched gears um, <clears throat> to the Spoken Books Uprising. But anyway, I was working on part part two, you know, book two of the Agrisfar saga one day in a coffee shop. And I guess I was more like procrastinating. So I just doodled. Uh, I was doodling some maps and I came up with, with this one. Um, now, I don't know that I have a great, great explanation for how I did that. You know, you know, you always need some big body of water, right? So we've got the ocean vast, um, and there's always some rich city on the ocean. So that's how we got fortune. And I decided I didn't want to be set in the wealthy city. So erstwhile, it sounds like a cool, dreary name, right? Um, so that's kind of, you know, set far back from the ocean in kind of this, you know, rainy, gray kind of area in the, the shadow of the daggers, which are which is a mountain range uh, to the east of erstwhile. <clears throat> um, so that's how I started that. And then I was like, well, I want some kind of ruined mythical city. So that's how I came up with Tome. I don't know. You need some you need some sort of waterway. So I drew the, the river through the middle. And then, you know, I put it into a corner. You know, if you look at the map, it's kind of, you know, kind of just disappears off into the corners. You know, and that's just, uh, that makes it a little easier, right? Instead of, like, figuring out the exact shape of everything, I can be like, oh, well, okay, there's mountains up here and, you know, mountains and it just ends at the mountains and then oh there's the blasted sands there's a desert down to the south so we, we don't know what's across there and then there's this giant you know giant forest to the dragon's maw and the emerald wood to the east um so kind of confining confining the borders there and then i kind of just filled in from there you know i probably just told myself some quick stories in my head <clears throat> i think i had kind of a vague um a vague idea before I think I had um we're really testing my memory here but I had I had sketched out some basic ideas for the series before I drew the map um so I know I needed I knew I needed the three triumvirate cities Enigma erstwhile and fortune and I knew tome two was this kind of ruined fourth city um and I think a few more place names I'd come up with as well so you know once I had that then I came up with a map of the world and then kind of fleshed out the outline a little more. And I do find it very useful to have a map before I start writing. Um, you know, I think sometimes people think, you know, rules can be, can dampen the creative process. But frankly, to me, I think restrictions actually make me more creative because if like I just have a totally blank sheet of paper with no direction, it can be just overwhelming to come up with anything. So if I can be like, well, okay, well, I'm confined by this world map. Um, you know, that always already sets some limits. And there's plenty of creative stuff you can do within this world map, but at least I'm not, um, you know, at least I'm limited by the geography a little as to, you know, how I can outline the story. Like, if I didn't have a map, I'm just like, well, they're in this place erstwhile, and then, you know, they're going to go to Tome, you know, and have, you know, then I have to start inventing everything that's in the middle and worry about it all being consistent. And uh, Whereas if I just have a map, I can look, well, okay, if they're in erstwhile, well, there's this little town called Hamlet they got to get to, and there's a forest, and then there's the Reach and the Firelands and the Charring Grounds, um, the Weeping Plains there. All right, well, then you can already see how, well, okay, there's going to be stages. Well, they're going to get to Hamlet, and something will happen there, and then something will happen in the Reach, and then the Firelands, and, you know, kind of builds it up all the way to Tome where the climax happens. So uh, 
little insight into the process there. So there you go, Shauna. Thanks for that question. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm sorry. I don't see the zombie face. But but there you go. But we've had lots of conversations in email. So I love your creativity. So definitely <laughs> definitely don't definitely don't stop with that. <laughs> um. Okay. I should also say for what it's worth, the map you guys see in the book. Uh, and on my website, I that I hired a graphic designer for. I did not create this. I have a, um, I don't have it with me, so I can't hold it up to the camera. It's in in storage or some of my other files. But I just hand drew this, and it looks significantly worse <laughs> than the more professional uh, version of the map that's in the book. Um, and then I handed that off to a graphic designer who turned it into. Uh, the map that you see at the beginning of each book and again on the website. So just to be just to be clear there, um, uh, the precise name, oh, actually I can look in the back of the book here or in the front matter here. They're credited. Uh, Tam Hawk at Siren Songs Boutique on Etsy. That's etsy.com slash, slash shop slash Siren Songs Boutique. Uh, if you need a map created, I think he does maps for Dungeons and Dragons campaigns too. So there, you, and I think it's a he because Tam, at least Tam is a he in the Wheel of Time. Tam Hawk, sorry Tam, if you're actually a girl, I'm I'm sorry, but Tam to me is Tam from the Wheel of Time, who is a man. So there you go. My apologies if uh, if you identify otherwise. <clears throat> okay, so that. Those are the questions. Thank you um, for those. I really love the listener questions, as you can probably tell. I just kind of went off on a tangent there about the map. So keep sending those in. And I apologize. I knew. I know it did take me a little. Uh, I know it did take me a little while um, to answer both of those, Jan uh, and Shauna. <clears throat> but but there you go. Thank you very much. Um, okay. Wow, this is going way longer than I thought it was going to, but that's okay. That's good. I've given you a few short ones lately, so this has been a long one. But um, that brings us down to just our quote of the week. Um, you know, again, you can catch these before the podcast comes out if you subscribe to the newsletter, uh, slash email dash sign up. And each quote of the week is also accompanied by an image. Um, and for the past three or four weeks, the image has been a photo that I've taken. and. For the mo- I'm not going to guarantee every single one will be a photo I've taken, but that's my plan. Most of the accompanying photos are going to be some photograph that I've taken. Um, so you can catch those in the newsletter that comes out every Friday, or you can just keep listening to, the here, listening to them here on the podcast. So uh, this week's quote comes from Stephen Erickson, who is the author of the Malazan Book of the Fallen, um, which is, you know, well... The core series is 10 books, but then there are other books in the world as well. Frankly, I don't even, I'm not even quite sure how it all works. I'm actually working my way through the first book of the series right now, Gardens of the Moon. This quote comes from House of Chains. Wise words are like arrows flung at your forehead. What do you do? Why? You duck, of course. And my little essay here interpreting this, um, or at least inspired by it, I don't I'm not necessarily interpreting it, but, you know, it's an essay inspired by the quote. I don't necessarily know if this is what Erickson intended, though I think this is kind of the idea he's getting across here. Okay, the essay. 
advice. Everyone seems to have some. It's not bad in and of itself, but too often we forget that what may work well for someone else might not be right for us. Only a fool doesn't consider what one more experienced than him or herself has to say, but it is equally foolish to blindly take a course just because it worked in another time and place for an individual's own particular circumstances. Accept advice, but use it as a tool to forge your own path rather than a rigid track from which you never stray. And that's it for this week's podcast. So until next time, this has been D.D. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club, and I look forward to seeing you all next week when we will begin reading Declaimer's Discovery, Part 2 of the Spoken Books Uprising. See you then. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author, or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.